Good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys again. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14. We're going to finish out Romans 14 this week as we actually continue our passage from last week in many ways. It's, it's very linked in theme. And so we're calling this message Unity and Diversity Part 2 because that in, in many ways is, is exactly what this is. It's an extension of what Paul was teaching us last week. Now, if you're like me, you and I easily lose sight of what is most valuable or most important in our lives, don't we? We're easily refocused onto something else. Our eyes are pulled off of what's most important. And, and, and last week, one of the things that, that we saw in, in the book of John, we looked at Jesus' prayer for unity. And in the, in the garden, and we see that this high priestly prayer, Jesus calls out before the Father and says, I pray, Father, that not just the disciples that are now, but the ones that are to come would be unified. And that they would be unified just as you and I, Father, are one. Meaning that the Father and the Son are so closely knit, so unified, that we as a church body are supposed to embody that and Jesus goes on to say, for the good of the world, for the mission, for the glory of God, so that others may see. There's something incredibly, uh, essentially, uniquely spiritual and beautiful and Holy Spirit-inspired uh, unity is within the body of Christ. It's something that can only be achieved through the Holy Spirit's work in and through each of our lives. But as, as we see, there are often times in our lives when our eyes can be easily focused on the lesser things. You look at James and John, known as the sons of thunder in, in the Gospels. These guys could bring the heat. They were the, the macho dudes, right? They were the ones that were always ready to, to kind of rock and roll. They, were, they, were, they struggled with pride. And we see that these two goobers essentially begin to argue over who will be the greatest in the kingdom, right? Who is going to be the best? Who's going to sit next to Jesus in the kingdom? And this is after, imagine this, this is immediately following three events that should have taken their eyes off of themselves in amazing ways. The first event that preceded this was the transfiguration, Meaning that, that they were taken up and they see this incredible transfiguration of Jesus. They see Jesus in all of his glory in ways that his earthly body w wouldn't otherwise show. And yet, in many ways, they remain unchanged. And they come down the mountain and they experience the rest of the disciples in a frenzy trying to cast out this demon from, uh, from this boy. And this father, and we see in Mark 9, comes to Jesus and is like, help, these disciples, essentially, they don't know what they're doing. They've tried, and they can't cast out this demon. And Jesus casts out this, this demon and, and essentially says this demon can only come out through fasting and prayer. 
that their, their eyes had begun to, to shift focus. And not only had then that happened, but then Jesus teaches them what will become most important in the coming days. That he himself would be crucified, that he would suffer much, that he would die on their behalf and on our behalf, and then be resurrected. And immediately following those three incredibly crucial, like camp high experiences, the best moments of their spiritual life, what do they begin to talk about? Man, I think I'm going to be the best in heaven. (laughs) Right? They lose sight. You and I can easily lose focus on what is most important in our lives. And so as we look at this text this morning, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that God is desiring unity in his body for his glory and for the purpose of mission on conscience issues. Now, just to kind of run through that list again, because some of you might not have been here last week, these are things that can be... uh, considered what we consider conscience issues, things that the Bible doesn't strictly speak or directly speak to. These are gray areas in our lives that we use wisdom and the Holy Spirit leads us. Things like video games or uh, worship dress or music preference, things like smoking or, or debt or movie selection, Bible translations, homeschool versus public school, uh, things like dancing or fashion, sports, Material wealth, all of these things are encompassed in what Paul is talking about here over meat and Sabbath days. So look with me at Romans chapter 14 as we continue what the Lord has for us today. And when you get there, say word. Therefore, that's how you know this is all connected to what Paul had just said in 1 through 12. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the main truth that I think Paul has for us this morning, church. It, it kind of builds off of what we talked about last week, but he, he takes a, a different focus on this. And all for the sake of God-designed and God-desired unity. 
And it's this. If you catch nothing else, I want you to catch this. We only achieve God-desired unity when our commitment to love one another is greater than our commitment to our personal freedom. We only achieve God-desired unity, which is clearly what God desires in this passage of us, when our commitment to love one another is greater than our commitment to our personal freedom. Now, that sounds super anti-American, doesn't it? Like, that flies in the face of the bald eagle as, 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 as clear as day. But Jesus is calling us to a different kind of mindset in many ways. And this is one of them that, that comes in conflict with the way that we typically have been brought up. And the first truth that we see that kind of proves this point is that in matters of conscience, let us pursue mutual love and intentionality. In matters of conscience, which is what Paul is talking about, let us pursue mutual love and intentionality. Now, if, if you weren't here last week, I'll give you a, a quick update or a quick refresher on what Paul is talking about in regards to meat. So in, there are two, day, two types of things that Paul is talking about here. He begins to talk about diet in 1 through 12 and days, meaning that in, within the body of Christ, there were Jewish Christians who had literally just come out of Judaism and had been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then in Rome, there were also Gentile Christians that had no Jewish background. And within this one church body, these were people that disagreed on many things. But God desired for them to have unity, even on things that they would have diverse opinions on. And their diverse opinions was based upon how their conscience was built and their background. The Jewish believers still wanted, by faith, wanted to observe the, uh, the, the different meal and the Sabbath and different festivals. And Paul says that is perfectly fine as long as you're not judging one another. And the other, the Gentile believers were like, we have no problem eating this meat that was sold in the market that may have been ceremonially unclean from the Old Testament. They had no problems with it. And so how are they to deal with these types of issues where the Bible says we are free to follow our own conscience? And the first thing that he says here is that we are to pursue mutual, commit, uh, mutual love and intentionality. So he connects back to our previous passage, and so he's expanding upon that. There are still steel beams that are left in place for us to be able to build a building, a church that is solidified, that has its base or substructure rooted but also it has flexibility up high where we are able to have unity amongst diversity. And so he says that each of us as believers, what does he say there in, in verse 13? He says, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. That was all of section, uh, the first section, 1 through 12. But rather, he says, decide. I want you to underline that. That's a really, really important word. This is where I get the idea of intentionality. He says, it must be a decision in mine and yours life as brothers and sisters in Christ to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It is a decision that we will never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We must choose this path. 
And it is the right path. It is a righteous and gospel-centered path. But he lists two things that we should decide never to do. The first thing is a stumbling block. And the other one is a hindrance. Now, he's getting at two different things here. A stumbling block, if you will, is one just haphazardly or carelessly or accidentally that is left. That's what Paul is communicating here. It's as if the kid left some Legos on the floor accidentally, not meaning to leave that, and you as a parent or a brother or sister step on that and say words you really shouldn't say, right? It's like that. Or it's the, the, kitchen, uh, the kitchen cabinet door is left open and you don't realize it and you walk by and slam your shin or knee on it and you're like, hallelujah, glory to God in the highest, right? That, 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 is, that is what a stumbling block is. And we'll talk about what some of those may mean in a minute. But there's also, he says, hindrance. And a hindrance is actually something that is intentionally set. In the language of the New Testament, it's the word snare. It's the word that we actually will eventually get in, uh, in English, scandal. And so this is something that is intentionally set on behalf of it to essentially trip your brother and sister up. But a stumbling block is one that is accidental. And so what do we do with this? For a stumbling block, I think it's most important that we choose to commit ourselves to knowing our brothers and sisters in Christ so well to know their past, to know where their struggles are, that we decide never to put a stumbling block in front of them. That can only happen when we know our brothers and sisters in Christ well, when we commit or decide to do that. Paul is saying that exercising love is more important than exercising our freedom. Amen. Remember, if you will, Romans 13, 8, what does it say? says, oh, no, oh, one, nothing except for one thing, right? What is the one debt, Paul says, that we can never fully repay? It's love. Loving one another is the unending debt that we must never and are never able to get to the bottom of. So even in our Christian liberty, where we are free to exercise our conscience, we must with do everything within the realm of love. Now, this doesn't mean that we are at a legalist whims, right? If somebody comes in here, a, a begrudging person that, that has no joy in his soul and is like, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. this Paul is not talking about that person. This is talking about someone who's genuinely following Jesus and, and trying to, to walk with him in their personal conscience. These are the people that, that Jesus actually confronts in the Pharisees a great deal. And in Galatians, Paul talks about the facts and condemns them for saying that they've set up a different law and they're trying to acquire righteousness in a different way. So Paul is not talking about legalists here. He's talking about the person that is walking in their faith that has a different personal decision and conscience than you that we accidentally trip them up. So why do we do this? Why do we choose love 
over sometimes our even personal freedom. Paul tells us in verse 15. Look with me there. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. This is talking about in the community aspect. By what you eat, do not destroy the one, this is it, for whom Christ died. Now, in verse 1, Paul says to welcome one another because God has welcomed him, right? Why do we love one another and exercise this love over our freedom? Paul says it because of people's value. And what is their value that Jesus has based it on? His own life. So our exercising love towards one another, and we'll talk about how that works out in a minute, but I want to build this framework that love is more important even than our personal freedom. Why? Because this is someone for whom Christ has died, that he gave his full life for. That's really, really important for us, in my opinion, to understand. And so by loving them in this way, by choosing love over freedom, what we are then free to do isn't what Paul says in verse 16, considered evil by those who cons- are, those consciences are disturbed. So how do we love this way? Always ask yourself, how will this decision affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? If we make a decision like that is, that, is, that is based around our community, when we're inviting people into our home, when we're out to eat with other believers, when we invite another brother or sister of Christ to a movie, the question we need to ask is how will this affect them? That is exercising love over freedom. None of us are truly free, in my opinion, if we aren't willing to abstain out of love for another. We're not truly free. So in matters of conscience, let us pursue mutual love and intentionality. we got to know each other and choose to love each other over our even our own preferences. Secondly, Paul tells us in 17 through 19 that in matters of conscience, let us remember our higher calling and purpose. Look with me at verse 17. For the kingdom of God, Paul says, is not a matter of eating and drinking. So the very things that he's been talking about, he says the kingdom of God is not that. That's not a matter of that. But of what? Of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, he, acquaints, he connects these two things. Of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit and serving Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us remember our higher calling and our purpose. So he, he's resetting our focus now and kind of builds in what this begins to look like. Now what we can forget in these things is we begin to forget, just like James and John, what really matters. I've heard of, of church fights. These are two that I literally read about this week that one church had a disagreement over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. Oof, right? Like how ridiculous is that? It's incredible, but it's ridiculous. And another church had a dispute because of the Lord's Supper had both, it was crayon grape juice instead of just grape juice. 
It's crazy things, right? Just the, the heresy of that church to have cranberries in with that grape juice. The Lord drank grape juice, right? And so we begin to forget what our purpose truly is. There's a time in our marriage and what early, early, early on when I lost focus of my higher calling to love Lauren and to care for her and to, to truly just give myself to her. And so we, she had moved into what at that point was my apartment at the BCM. And I had nothing on the walls. It was literally plain. It was the perfect guy space, right? No art, nothing. It had a microwave and a toaster oven so I could cook my pizza rolls and do all of those types of things. Just it was, it was the, the dude life at the max. And so when, when we become married, she comes in and we begin, we've got all these gifts and begin to hang things up and, and she's doing all of these things. And I begin to feel like, well, this isn't my space anymore. Well, of course it's not my space. And where I decided to draw the line was we were beginning to have a, an argument over whether or not we should have a lid on the trash can. <laughs> And, and, and I literally drew the line there, and I was like, babe, I've given you, I've, I've allowed you to do everything. Let me have this one win. One win. I don't want a lid on the trash can because I want to be able to stuff it in and get maximum capacity because it's like every trash bag is, a, like, is money to me. And so it's like i got to use this. i got to be a steward of God's trash bag, all right, and, and maximize it. And you know what, in, in losing sight of that, what ends up happening is, is I lost sight of the fact that my first and foremost higher calling was to love Lauren as, as I love myself, right? It wasn't about winning. It, was, it should have been about me loving and, and giving her what uh, is right, now, we, we laugh at these, but we lose focus in our own lives, too. He says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but you can substitute almost any of our personal preferences in there, and it remains true. Imagine this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of Bible translations. It's not a matter of that family choosing to buy the boat. It's not a matter of this style of music. It's not about so-and-so having wine for dinner but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul won't let us buy into the lesser things. He, he considerably raises our bar in saying that being right doesn't matter if you don't have love. And so our higher calling is one of righteousness and love, or righteousness, peace, and joy. We have a higher goal within the church. That is to glorify God to love one another, and to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't affect those types of things, then we have to begin to, to handle it in a different way. So how will we know what we value? How do we know in our lives what we value? There's a story that, that I came across this week of uh, back before there were specific national lines drawn Laos and uh, Vietnam chose to, they had to divide people up because of tax purposes. And rather than dividing specific people because of location, what they did is they looked at what the people valued, what they embodied. They, uh, the Laotians ate short-grained rice, built their houses on stilts, and decorated them with Indian-style serpents. While the Vietnamese people 
ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground, and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons. And so instead of deciding to divide them up by location, they divided them up by their what they valued, what country they exhibited more. Paul is saying these are the two values here in our lives that we must emphasize in order for us to seek unity. The first is personal Christ-likeness. He says righteousness, peace, and joy. So the question you must ask yourself is essentially, does this pass the, the eternal test? Does this pass the eternal test in, in your eyes? For both parties, both for the, the weaker brother and for the stronger brother, Ask yourself, am I pursuing holiness in this? Ask yourself, am I pursuing peace in this? Ask yourself, am I experiencing and producing joy through this? If the, decision, if the decisions don't produce the things that Paul says is a matter of the kingdom of God, then we miss the mark. Those are the questions that we must ask. These are the eternal things, the kingdom things. I had a, a mentor that once uh, told me a story where he came up to a brother and a, and a brother uh, had, he said, brother, do you have the joy of the Lord in you? He said, yeah. Well, he said, well, then you need to notify your face, right? We need, we need to ask, is this, are these things, I mean, that is a big oof, but like uh, just imagine how uncomfortable that would have been. But is, are the things in, in our conscience are those things producing these eternal things in our life? So the first thing is personal Christ-likeness. Are we looking more like Jesus? Paul asks and says in verses 17 and 18 for corporate edification. Corporate edification. He says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of these things, but whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Then he says this, So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding? What are we to pursue? What edifies or strengthens the body of Christ that builds up, that brings peace, that edifies, that strengthens the body? We're called to strengthen one another. How do we do this? Well, I think first we listen to one another. In matters of conscience, we hear each other's sides and backgrounds. Um, we, we know people well. We be, we're sensitive and empathetic towards them. And then that allows us to love each other more fully because we cannot love past our knowledge of someone. And so we ought to look for the greater good in our community. So the question is, are we willing to build others up or are we building others up in our matters of conscience. The third truth that we see is in matters of conscience, and we're moving from here, in matters of conscience, let us prioritize our brother's betterment over personal conviction and liberty. And if you don't catch all these notes, I know it's a lot. I printed a bunch of them on the back again, and it includes last week's too. So everything that you're hearing from me is, is on that note, essentially. And those are in the back. In matters of conscience, let us prioritize our brother's betterment over our personal conviction and liberty. Look with me at verse 20. Do not, he says, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. 
but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So Paul wraps up this kind of theme in a, in a nice little bow he's here. He says and that we must choose to refrain for the benefit of another if it will be a hindrance or a stumbling block for them. And that is a beautiful and godly thing to do so. It is something that God approves of. But this passage comes with a sober warning as well. Twice, Paul says, do not destroy. And what does he say in those things? In verse 15, he says, do not destroy someone. He says, in matters of conscience, it's not worth destroying someone over because Christ died for them. The second one is here in verse 20. He says, do not destroy what? The work of God. Do not destroy the work of God. And this is something that we'll see next week. Jesus shows us. We can destroy people's personal walks. We can destroy unity in the church. We can eat ourselves alive. And God will take his favor off of us even if we choose to make these things more important than they are. Let's keep our eyes focused on what God has for us. We have to desire the better things. Let us pursue Christ-likeness. Let us pursue love. Let us pursue corporate edification. And we do this by prioritizing our brother and sister rather than ourselves. Now here he specifically mentions meat or wine, doesn't he? So what does that mean and, and how would that work in the first century church? Let me kind of bring this down to you. So if, if a mature Christian in the church were to have bought meat purchased in essentially the, the area, I don't even know, the market, that's what they're called. I forgot, I just need to do this little piggy went to the market, then I would have remembered it. If, if the older or, or more seasoned believer would have brought meat that was purchased from the marketplace into a church-wide meal, into essentially a potluck together, where brothers and sisters of Christ who choose to abstain were actually there, then that would be wrong of him. That's what Paul is saying, that if, if, they, if the mature Christian did this, then the mature Christian is the one that is at fault. Because it would have encouraged the brothers and sisters in Christ to abstain. It would have encouraged them in some way to actually participate in it. So imagine it, it playing out a little bit like this. I'm a what you would call a weak or restricted spelunker. I cannot cave worth a dang that is it's a fancy word I'm trying to make myself sound good it's it's a fancy word for walking and crawling in caves I can't do it very well I don't fit into tight spaces easily I'm not very maneuverable I have no upper body strength and so it's like a living nightmare for me and so I'm very restricted by my ability to do so in a cave now, there are other people that I've gone with that are not restricted at all. They have great upper body strength. They have great flexibility. They, they have the ability to move her through caves all the way. 
Paul is saying that it would be wrong for that person, the strong believer, to go ahead and leave me, the restricted or weak believer, behind. But rather in love, walk with me, help me, be one with me as I maneuver through the cave. And Paul says this is actually pleasing to God. He says here that in verse, uh, let's see, look at verse 20, he says, Everything is indeed clean, so Paul puts his opinion on it, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not worth it, he says. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Why? Because the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Meaning that if we broadcast or force our views as a stronger believer on another, we're in the wrong. But also that this should never be a cause to essentially divide over. But it also means that we can be right in our opinion and wrong in our approach. Um, Paul says that we pass judgment on ourselves or condemn ourselves if we push our views on others in this regard. That's what he says. He, he, we pass judgment literally on ourselves. Now let's break it down into what, like, what this actually looks like. So what if you enjoy to drink wine with just you and your wife or something like that to glorify God, um, but you're hosting someone that you know has a previous alcohol addiction? What do you do? You abstain for the glory of God and for the betterment of another. Right? It's what you do. That's what Paul says that you do. We abstain as to not put in a building block. How about R-rated movies? You may feel fine on seeing some R-rated movies, and it's not a big deal to you, but there may be a group of people that you're inviting that has a conviction over that. What will you do? You choose not to go to that movie. Right? How about if you feel no pull personally towards wearing a mask? Personally, you're like, I don't think I need it. I'm going to choose not to do it. But you know that another wouldn't come to a Bible study because they have health issues. What should you do? Put on a mask for the betterment of your brother and sister in Christ. What do you do if I were to preach at a church be a guest preacher that typically had a pastor that wore a suit and preached from the KJV only. What should I do in that instance? Paul says that I should follow suit and wear a suit and preach from the KJV. This is how this begins to work out in our lives. Be careful in four ways, church. These are the four ways that Paul's calling us. Notice, this isn't personally in the privacy of your own home or anything like that. This is a communal thing. When we're with our brothers and sisters in Christ, these are four areas we need to watch. Community. Whether we're doing parties or inviting people into our home, or we're having Sunday school parties or something like that. This is an area where this principle applies. Two, in the stories that we tell. And the stories that we tell, we may could be a stumbling block to another. Three suggestions that we make. I once suggested to some kids that they watch The Goonies. Having not watched The Goonies in a long time, you know what is in The Goonies? 
a lot of language that I had forgotten about, right? You need to be careful in your suggestions to others. And then four, be careful about what you post on social media. Make sure it passes the eternal test. Is this building up? Is this edifying? We should not be known as a church by what we are free to do or not to do. Paul says, but we, sh- we should be known as our, as our church by our pursuit and embodiment of love and righteousness and peace and joy. And finally, Paul wraps everything up by speaking to the restricted believer. And he says in verse 23, in matters of conscience, it is sinful to participate in that which we are unsure about or believe to be wrong. Look at verse 23 as we wrap up. But who ever has doubts is condemned if he eats meaning he's wrong he's sin because the eating is not from faith meaning what he believes to be true for whatever does not proceed from faith or what they believe to be true is sin so if you doubt you should do it you should undoubtedly not do it because if you do you are sinning against God you're condemning yourself before God so even if, it's, if you're unfree, even if it's unpopular, that's something that you need to abstain from. If you doubt and still do it, you're sinning. It's that simple. Um, I think Augustine probably said it best on these matters, and he said it this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. What will be more valuable to us? The kingdom of God with meat, and vegetables or wine, whatever he says, or righteousness, peace, joy, and love in the spirit. That should be the most important thing to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its depth. I thank you for its application that in many ways it calls us and uh, into a deeper relationship. It literally calls us in many ways to die to ourselves as we follow you. And so I pray this morning, Jesus, that, that you would allow us to, um, to see where we, we may have been a stumbling block to our brother. And God, give us the courage to apologize for that. May we not push our freedom and, or anything on others, but may we be people known for love and righteousness and peace and joy. This is how you have designed us to have unity within diversity. I pray, Father, if there's someone here today that, that, that doesn't know you, that all of this is, just feels overly complex, I pray, God, that in this moment they would sense that, that for them, God, that, that your desire for them is, is not that they follow this list of rules and regulations, but, God, that they would see the depth and need of their sin, that they would need, they see their need for a Savior and that they would call and believe upon you, Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who loves them, the one who can save them. Lord, would you save them today? We ask this in Jesus' name.